You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history, find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. It seems like 2020 never ended. And, you know, in, in this first couple weeks of 2021, I, I definitely want to say, like, I'm done with my subscription. Please do not charge the credit card on file. I am I, I am I'm already exhausted. But, uh, you know, there, there have been there, there have really been worse years for me. I don't want to make it sound like 2020 was the disaster that you're going to hear every celebrity talk about. For a lot of people, it was. But for me, it was a time of growth. For me, it was a time of self-discovery. And I think I'm a better person for having encountered those challenges because now I'm in a situation where I've taken time off to begin contracting and consulting for the thousands of American businesses out there who have been impacted by the lockdowns and now are dealing with an increasingly unfriendly internet space, to put it lightly. Uh, One in two businesses that had to close down because of the lockdowns in 2020 have permanently closed. And for those that are just eking by right now, um, you know, it's, it's often hard to figure out what you know, getting back to a point of thriving looks like, especially when survival seems to at least be a sign of success. But what about the entrepreneurs? Because there are enough people out there who own businesses who might still work a full-time job, but still have a side gig there. People that want to go ahead and achieve big things, whether you're an athlete, whether you're an artist, whether you're a content creator or a business owner yourself, how do we motivate ourselves to stay focused in a year ahead that doesn't seem very different from the previous one. Well, it'd be a little bit boring if I talked about that myself. We've got Chloe Nagnos from Argo Strategy, the best strategy firm in the business, if I may say so myself. I am a client and Chloe is a good friend. Chloe, thank you so much for joining the program today. Hey, friend. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I am. I, I'm. I'm more chipper than usual. I think when I've been uh, when I've been talking about this stuff, uh, I tend to be the person bringing up all the bad news. But when we look at things on a macro scale, I gotta say, I I'm not too concerned because let, let's really let's really look at it this way. Um, e-commerce is on the rise like never before, and I'm not just talking Amazon. I'm talking people across the board. If you know how to use the internet. Uh, you're going to do it. For the first time in probably generations, people are actually taking into account their financial health. Millennials are actually building up emergency funds in their savings accounts. And when you look at the number of people that are working side gigs, so that way they have money to actually save and invest, so that way their main salaries can actually go to paying bills and the things that they actually need to cover, uh, 
you know, pe- people have more jobs than Jamaican right now. So, you know, en- enough of en- enough of the last year and right now as things seem in the near future it, there, you know, it's been a challenge and it's going to be a challenge. But in terms of actually looking at the world around us and thinking, huh, maybe I can make something better out of this. Uh, I know not a lot of people have not done their typical New Year's resolution type of stuff, but this seems like the year where, you know, if there ever was a time to challenge yourself and see how you can get out of it, not just survive, but thrive. I have a feeling this might be it for many millions of people. Oh, I definitely agree. And I think if you look at the overall all overall kind of theme of 2020, it was basically just doom and gloom. And I feel like if a lot of Americans or at least just folks around the globe, because of course this is a global pandemic that we've just you know been living in, I think a lot of people, at least from what I've gathered from social media and from the mainstream media, um, a lot of folks are a lot more optimistic if they've made it this far and they are ready to put 2020 behind them and to go on living life as normally, I know you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes, uh, <laughs> as normally as possible, right? Yeah, and this is this is one of those situations where, um, you, you know, I, I remember back in 2016 there was a CNN town hall where there there was this woman who worked at a, uh, I think it was, I think it was one of the Ford plants or something down there, and she had mentioned that her father had also worked there for 30 years and she had been working there for 12 years, and it was a Bernie Sanders town hall, and she said, you know, I'm I'm afraid of losing my job for it to be, you know, for it to be outsourced and stuff. What uh, what wh- are you going to do to protect my job? And I remember, you know, looking at th- at her at the time, and I was kind of judgy. I'm like, well, you're stupid. You should be learning all this other stuff. But for but for many Americans, you know, that's just the situation. They they have families to take care of. They've got bills to pay. They they need that job because they're afraid that they might not be able to find anything else. And, you know, if you were afraid of technology catching up to you, if you were afraid of automation ca- catching up to you, uh, COVID put that on like crack. Like for a lot of people, oh, yeah. now they're at the point where they they have to start looking at these skills. And I, I cannot imagine what it's like to be a college student right now. Because your final year, your senior year, typically for undergrad, is the year where you're trying to really line something up afterwards. Um, you know, th- this is this is one of those situations where if, if people have a right to be worried, I think I I think I understand it now more so than maybe a couple years ago. Well, and we also have to look at okay, if you're in college right now, are you learning the skills that employers actually care about? Being on time knowing how to communicate. Can you put yourself in a virtual position or put your major in a virtual position, right? So that you can be a remote employee right out the bat. Because that's the world we're living in. Yeah. And I mean, one one of the things that I really, you know, I think this would be a good place to start when we're talking about developing the skills to make yourself marketable in a in a growingly like online world. Um, you know, it's, it's not just, can you start a small online business or can you work independently from home? I think the challenge for a lot of people is they, they're very accustomed to interviewing in person, like actually going and speaking to somebody. And from what I'm hearing from some of my friends who were uh, let go or they left jobs right in the middle of the pandemic and things got a little bit harsher because of, you know, the hiring season slump during the holidays. Um, they, they find right now that for a lot of employers, trying to hire people online, it's actually harder than they thought. They thought that they'd get a free pass because they might just have to do a f- couple of phone 
interviews, but it's different. And what, what I can tell people was that when I was the outreach director of Parlor and I was hiring for positions, it was surprising the number of people that, one, don't know how to properly fill out an online application, and two, don't know how to actually format a resume. And I'm I'm really curious because the the gambit ranges from like college students to people leaving high school to people who are in their mid forties that are trying to find that midlife career change. Do you feel that your everyday American is literate enough in terms of how to deal with things online to cope, or do you think a lot of otherwise hardworking, capable people are going to be left behind because they can't get over that? minimum internet technology slump? I I think you're right in that a lot of folks will get left behind. Um, It's been very interesting to see even people that I know. My mom, for example, is a college professor in Michigan. Uh, She speaks like four languages, very, very intelligent. Never had to use Zoom or Google Meet before or Google Docs because she always had her curriculum, I mean, really just at her fingertips. And when they basically shut down the institution and she had to teach from home, especially teaching Spanish over Zoom. She said, I've never had to do this before. And, um, you know, of course, my sister and I were very happy to to help her out and get her up to speed. But if you don't have younger people who are used to using this technology all the time, it might be a really big learning curve and it might put you behind. Um, So I'm happy to say that now she uh, definitely knows how to use Zoom and Google Meet. Um, so that's been really fun, especially around the holidays to, you know, Skype in uh, family from around the country. Uh, but I think we are going to see a generation of Americans who either get left behind or they have to really adapt and they have to pivot in order to stay afloat in this economy. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I have been seeing, and I think that uh, CNBC money and uh you know, Bloomberg Finance, they've been really good about trying to provide stories about middle-class Americans, working-class Americans who are trying to find jobs that are really maybe outside of their wheelhouse, maybe in completely different industries. Because for many people, um, you know, the, the past year, Americans saw a, a faster shift in their transitioning from one line of work that they had spent years, maybe decades being involved in and trying to find something completely different. Uh, clerical work, uh, online secretaries, online assistants, that went up. Those people used to be teachers. Those people used to be store managers. They used to be office managers, that type of stuff. And now they've had to completely shift to this this different focus in order to, you know, meet with people across the country online that they'll never have contact with. Um, the number of people that used to do just basic retail jobs are now learning coding skills and stuff like that. And they're trying to develop other uh, e-commerce skills. So that way they're more marketable for businesses that need people to do, let's say, call center work. Call center jobs went up. That was one of those crazy things. And from what I'm seeing, at least here in the Beltway, uh, a good call center job, even if you're working part-time, can bring anywhere between 14 to $17 an hour. And that that's sitting from home, just answering calls and most of the time just just redirecting them to other other departments. Sign me up. That's yeah. easy. Yeah. That's, I mean, hey, that's a lot better than actually having to go into a store and oops, sorry. Let's start that over. Uh, <laughs> it happens. It happens. 
Uh, it's actually uh, your your buddy Madeline May who is calling me. Uh, hey, crime girl, um, <laughs> true true crime girl. But but I, I feel like that's a lot that's a lot better position of you know working from home, having that flexibility, especially if you have children, having to deal with e learning than driving to a nine to five every day, clocking in and dealing with the public in person. It's a much better gig. Yeah. Especially now, if you're one of those people who are incredibly worried, um, you know, about health and safety and that type of stuff. Um, you know, my, my big question is, you know, if, if let's say you were somebody who, and I'm seeing this, let's say for a lot of journalists, for example, a lot of reporters and a lot of journalists that I, I had worked with in 2020 lost their jobs. And, you know, the, the media, it's not, it's not a very competitive place right now because almost nobody's hiring. And what they are hiring for are SEO developers or digital content producers. They don't need somebody to just write, you know, three, three to 500 words of copy. So, what what I told a lot of them was, listen, um, you're not going to get paid what you used to get paid to write op-eds. You're not going to get paid what you used to get paid if you're going from a national outlet to a local newspaper. You've got to, you know, my, my big thing has always been this. If you could write sales copy and if you can write ad copy, there's going to be work for you. People don't understand this, but globally, globally, there is a deficit of copywriters for businesses. And that's just a fact. And if you're bilingual, man, your, your customer base just tripled right there. If let's say you were one of those people right now, Chloe, and your, your given industry was not hiring and you just went into, I just need a job mode, but I know that I like working from home and I am literate when it comes to the internet, what would be some of the first things you would do in that crisis situation? In that crisis situation, I think one of the first things you need to do, one, is make sure that you have an updated resume and you either work with someone like you, Remzo, or maybe someone like me, make sure that your copy is fantastic, that you really show yourself off and your personal brand on your resume. You make sure that transfers over into your LinkedIn, right? From there, I mean, I really think that the sky's the limit. So I think once you have your personal branding figured out on your resume, on your cover letter, um, and then in terms of your LinkedIn, then from there, you really need to reach out to as many as connections of you as you have in real life. So former colleagues, friends, family, and look around for companies that are hiring in your area or even some small businesses that need some of that virtual help, or maybe they need a combination of in-person and virtual help, right? Um, so if you have computer skills, I mean, you really would just be shocked at the number of people who need your expertise or who need um, something in terms of managing social media, managing Google reviews, Yelp reviews, um, Facebook reviews, anything like that, I think you can turn that into your own business um, and you can turn it into uh, something that really can make some great revenue for you and your family. 
Yeah, I'll take it a step further as I'm looking through ZipRecruiter and Indeed.com right now in the in the Rockville uh, region of Maryland. Um, they need thousands of people to do data entry for just a handful of companies, whether it's Amazon or whether it's um, you know s- smaller tech fa- tech based firms. A lot of the defense contractors, you can get uh, just an entry level job, no clearance required, just doing data entry. So I think that the biggest thing right now for people is, you know, make yourself marketable, do the basic things, get your resume updated, get your LinkedIn profile updated. Because let me tell you, um, using the job portals that I was looking at when I was hiring candidates, uh, we, we usually made requesting your LinkedIn account mandatory. And that was something that I didn't even see when I uh, was out of college in 2017 looking for work. It, it seems like the past couple of years, they've placed more of an emphasis on LinkedIn now than probably before. W- w- would you agree with that or not? I would agree with that. And I think one thing that a lot of professionals are getting really annoyed with is that LinkedIn is starting to turn into Facebook in terms of people are putting their life updates like, Oh, I just got married or, Oh, I had a baby or, Oh, um, you know, my kids and I went to Cancun or something like that. Instead of putting that on Facebook, they're starting to put it on LinkedIn too. And I think one thing that is nice about kind of that transition from, okay, LinkedIn is only, only, uh, straight up business is that you're getting a little bit more of that human connection into the LinkedIn platform. Because ultimately, human connection most of the time is what's going to get you at least through the door into your next position. Yeah, and with that, it's one of those situations where when when I was looking at candidates, um, one of the things that stood out were the people that had that complete LinkedIn profile. Um, Folks, I'm sorry to tell you, but if you don't have a, a headshot that does still affect you. And no, we're not basing off appearance. We're not doing that. But what we want to see is that you're a put together individual. Um, what what for, did freak me out was that for, and, and I, I really don't remember the name of the job portal I was using, um, you know, requested your resume. It made you fill out a survey and we demanded a, a LinkedIn link. So if you didn't paste your LinkedIn URL, you, you weren't getting a, getting a, a review of your resume. But what this, and from what I've heard, other um, job portals have for employers listing positions is that as soon as they get access to your email to reply to you with other stuff, they can pull up your Facebook. They can pull up your Twitter. They can pull up your LinkedIn. And that for me, like that's something they used to warn us about growing up. Like don't don't post something stupid on your Facebook. But there were, there were many times where I would see somebody who looks, you know, clean cut on LinkedIn and then I go on their Facebook and they are the most ratchet individual you can imagine. <laughs> keg stands too, I'm it, sure. I, I literally saw a woman doing keg stands and you would have thought that she was a librarian based off her LinkedIn. It's like, you know, she went from Sunday school teacher to girls gone wild in a minute. And I saw another guy who was, uh, you know, he, he wore a suit and tie, looked good on LinkedIn. Then I went over to, um, to, to his Facebook and everything was public. That was one scary thing. And all he does is go around fighting people. And it's like, dude, what if you happen to be pissing off a potential client? What if you've already developed a horrendous internet reputation for yourself? 
things like things like that. Like there's no hiding. There is no shelter. No, there isn't. And I think at the same time, when you and I were in college, it was very much a, Hey, if you don't want this on the internet, make sure that you don't post it on your Facebook or your Twitter. Um, Mm. but nowadays I think your personal brand really has to go into your LinkedIn account, your professional forward facing Twitter account. So, you know, maybe don't be posting what you did at a party on a Saturday night. You should be home anyway, because we're in a pandemic. Uh Um, and then from there, you know, if you have a public facing Facebook account, make sure that if you had, uh, I always say, if your priest, your mom, your grandma, and a potential employer uh, would blush at it, then maybe it shouldn't be anywhere online under any of your handles. Uh, but in that same vein, if you and I, because we do work in some political circles, if you post a political opinion anywhere online and maybe someone doesn't agree with it, and therefore they don't want to hire you, maybe you don't want to work with that organization or that individual to begin with. Yeah, I'm, I'm so kind of... It's, it's, it's a fine balance. It really is. I'm I'm kind of happy that you, you bring that up because that's kind of like the, the 600 pound elephant. I'm sorry, the six that I don't know how the, I don't freaking know how much elephants weigh. It's a stupid analogy. I don't know why everyone brings it up. But anyway, <laughs> let's bring up the awkward topic in the room. Um, a lot of people now, and I will say that last week at the time of recording, uh, I was not getting ready to work. I was getting ready to work the following Monday with clients. Uh, I had more more emergency calls last week than ever before. And this is for, for time, for, for, as a time reference, uh, the Capitol Hill incident, uh, what's going on online with Facebook and Twitter and all these other businesses that are going after people for their uh, beliefs and opinions and activities online. Um, if they could do what they did to the president of the United States, I mean, folks, I've got stories upon stories of just regular people who have been just completely deplatformed. I'll even say depersons because now even money processors and banks are starting to retaliate against people because this, this cancel culture agenda is just getting out of hand. So I, I had, um, I had two instances last week. I had a client who has a podcast where they talk about news and politics, but then they have their own separate business and their number one source for client referrals is their Facebook page for their business account. And mm. when for some reason, they they were posting some stories from uh, Daily Caller and a few other places on their personal account. It got labeled misinformation. Some people were talking about some topics that have been deemed dangerous by Facebook. He lost access to his entire personal Facebook page. His podcast page was permanently taken down. Then what they did was they took down all his professional business pages. And while they were at it, they also removed his wife, who was an admin. Oh, that's nice. So, so you've got that example. And for some people thinking, oh, well, you know, he had a political topic. He put himself out there. He had it coming. I also have people that are not public figures who are not anyone that you would know ever who posted stories and posted stuff that was labeled misinformation or something else. And the same thing happened to them. So what you have is, you know, the, the pandemic has already made it hard to do business. Now, if you're center right or just you know remotely not sticking by what Twitter, Facebook, and all these other platforms uh, want you to stick to, you're getting kicked out. And while they're at it, 
you know, businesses are refusing to do business with other people just based off that. They might have had beautiful relationships and professional dealings before that, but because they are a certain way publicly or maybe even privately, they're just cutting them off from services and stuff entirely. So for people worrying about that, I... I, I don't know what to tell them sometimes. What I did tell them was, listen, there are enough millions of people who believe what you believe and are of your political ideology. You you will be okay if you know how to target those people. And you know the, the con to that is now you're probably going to be more in the crosshairs of liberals now than ever before. I'm sorry, but this is the world we're living in. Because I don't want to tell them, never talk, never express yourself, just say what you need to say to get by, and just hope that nobody does enough digging on you on Facebook. So I think I think that is very much you're in a difficult position, but at the same time, one of the big things that I talk about in marketing with a lot of my clients is that you don't really own your own Facebook page or your Twitter account or your LinkedIn profile. So the one thing that you absolutely must do, no matter if you are a local business, if you are a public figure, you must have an email list because that's the data you truly do own. So if you are a public figure, if you're someone who's listening to this podcast, who has a business, um, and if you previously did not have an email marketing program, maybe we should sit down and talk because owning that information and truly owning that data is going to help you get through if you, God forbid, get canceled or get censored in some form or one way or another. Um, So that's always been something I've talked about with my clients is that you have to own your data. You have to make sure that you have a way to communicate with your audience or your customers. If you do get shut down, if you can't log into Facebook or God forbid, you get locked out of your Instagram account, which a lot of people I mean, that happens to them a lot. And um, even in the political realm on Facebook and Twitter, we're seeing a lot of that too. I, I posted something on on Instagram stories the other day. It was an announcement for, for a deal I'm doing for small businesses. And I included COVID in there. And in order to post it to Instagram stories, I had to basically agree to have a, a, a banner at the bottom of my Instagram story that said, for more information on COVID and all this other stuff, please see the CDC. And it's like, you know, it, it does, does it impact anything? No, but it's like, I, I now have to consent to that. And that was one of those moments where it's like, well, what if they didn't like what I said? Not because I'm posting anything that's a lie or anything that's illegal, but because they don't like what I'm saying. And that was one of those moments where it's like, you know, what if I had said no? How else am I going to get in touch with people? And it's just one of those situations where I've had to ask myself this, Chloe, and it really terrifies me because I don't, I don't see a clear answer to this. For, for the foreseeable future, for the first time in my life, I think there's one thing I fear more than the government getting in my way of living my life. It's 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 our own culture. I'm more afraid of losing my platforms. I'm more afraid of losing my access to essential banking services. I'm more afraid of not being able to find certain gigs or certain contracts or certain career opportunities because people have just branded me a certain way. And it's like that, when I really think about it, I think I found the thing that scares me more than the IRS does. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think because we're millennials, that's 
a little bit nerve wracking too, because you and I know how difficult it is to start up these platforms from scratch and how to build a community and build an audience and what it actually takes to do Facebook marketing. And there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears in the platforms that we have. But one thing I've had to constantly remind myself is that, you know what, if I lost my Facebook account, would it truly matter? No, not really. But does it suck that the government has its hands in some of what we're doing? Yeah, a little bit. I saw someone had posted something in terms of, um, oh, what is it? Is it Twitter that gets a subsidy from the government? There's some some organization, some media organization, social media platform that that gets government money. Oh, I, I know Facebook I does. It's Facebook. Yeah, so it's Facebook. So my problem is if you're getting government money, there's really no reason for you to be censoring anyone. So that's the problem that I have with Facebook. Twitter, on the other hand, if they're not getting any government money, then it shouldn't be an issue at all um, in terms of censoring people. But I I do, I am nervous about the IRS targeting people much like they did in 2014 when they audited conservatives just because yeah, I'm the IRS and I want to audit conservatives because I don't like what they have to say. That is a little bit scary. So oh, I, I was I was at FreedomWorks cool. in 2015, and I was I was a grassroots intern. I was writing education stuff, and I ended up having to pull two months where I was working for the finance department, uh, helping them do audits because the IRS every day was sending something else saying, "Yeah, we we need to double check your books. We need you to look through all your records again." And I'm a person who's afraid of math. Like I'm a numbers impaired American. So me having to help make sure that all their books were balanced was a terrifying thing. They asked you to do that? <laughs> they asked me to do that. I remember the day where they were like, "Hey, we need you to help and do some auditing." And I was like, "I want you to know, I got a D in algebra." And they're like, yeah, but can you do basic math? And I'm like, how basic are we getting? And they taught me how to use Excel. And luckily, even though like I, I, I'm pretty sure I failed statistics too in college, how I was able to get the credit for that, I don't remember. But like I, uh, later on in life, when I would do like auditing for PACs and for nonprofits, it's it's a lot easier than most people think. So if I could do it, anybody could do it. But I mean, that's that's the that's the type of situation where we're dealing with. And I, I'm curious for for people that are starting up businesses right now, if they tell you, hey, I don't know whether I want to be on Facebook or not, is Facebook specifically still one of those places where you have to be on for at least that minimum standard of social proof? Um, yes and no. And I think, again, it just it just kind of depends on what your target audience is. If you are a smoothie shop or specifically like a woman, something that's geared towards women, I would argue that you should be on Pinterest or Instagram. Sure, have some type of presence on Facebook just so you can claim your handle and just so you can have a little bit of social proof. But I would hope that as more and more Americans get frustrated with social media, as more members of Gen Z start to turn to just TikTok or just Instagram in terms of the social platforms that they utilize. I would hope that maybe in the next five to six years, we would get to the point where a Google listing would suffice for most businesses. Um, I can dream, but then again, what do I know? Do you think that's like a step back in a way? 
I think it's a, both a step back and a step forward in in the fact that most Americans, I'm just speaking for Americans, but most Americans have gotten so intertwined and wrapped up with social media that it's maybe a problem. I mean, we know that especially in teens that it causes issues with um, eating disorders, uh, depression, thoughts of suicide. A lot of teens and people in Gen Z play the comparison game. Um, but at the same time, if we get to the, the point where the trend is to no longer use social media platforms because of their influence on us, then maybe it's a step forward in the right direction. And when I say the right direction, I mean uh, maybe having better mental health, maybe monitoring how much screen time you and your kids actually have. Uh, Because ultimately, Remzo, most people I don't think realize, especially in the U.S., is that when you are on social media, you are the product. Your data is the product that advertisers want. So would it maybe hurt my my profession a little bit? Probably. But at the end of the day, if it means that, you know, you have to rely a little bit more on traditional media or just making sure that you have an awesome website or an awesome app, then it might be worth it. So I can see it going both ways. I uh, I did an interview a few weeks ago with Christian Stone from uh, 6048 Sports. They're a non-political sports site. And uh, we, we talked a lot about the rise of the activist athlete and what that means for, for marketing and advertising in the sports industry. And, and the one thing that bothers me on like a an individual level is how we are going to certain businesses, not because we like their products necessarily, but because they align with our values. I never saw this as a thing that necessarily mattered growing up, but it seems like that's been something that has become more of like one of those reasons why we choose to shop or not to shop with certain places. Uh, you know, I remember growing up during the days of the Iraq war, it was Starbucks, it was Ben and Jerry's, then it turned into Chick-fil-A and now it's not Chick-fil-A again. And now it's, it's everything has to be, well, are they conservative or are they liberal? Well, did they have a statement on black lives matter or not? Well, did they support Colin Kaepernick or not? Or, or, okay. Or are they, are they green, uh, energy compliant? And are, do they, do they hire like, you know, half women on their board of directors and stuff like that. Part of me is thinking, okay, the free market provides. Therefore, if you really care that much, there are going to be enough businesses that align with your values. But here's the thing. Uh, Apparently, Burger King made the Burger King, the King mascot. Apparently, they made him gay. And uh, I don't really give a shit. I'm still going to go eat Burger King. And I saw a lot of people that were like, I'm never going to Burger King again. Why do they have to make him gay? I'm like, he's a, he's not real. The Burger King can't hurt you. And then on like the flip side, it's like, (laughs) yeah, like, like the Burger, like the Burger King is not going to turn you gay because you're eating a Whopper. And and then it's like on the flip side, I I tell the story pretty often. I, on one of the last campaigns I, I worked, I was in New Hampshire. I was wearing a Nike raincoat because it was raining outside as I was passing out leaflets at polling place. Uh, It was a Republican primary. I was working for a Republican candidate and I had a Republican voter who was undecided who who looked at me, asked who I was working for. I told him who I was working for. Then he said, I'm not voting for your guy because you're wearing a Nike jacket and Nike hates America. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's like wow. the right does it almost as much as the left now. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, is it better or worse to be what, what I call a statement company? A company where it's like you, you only are serving a very 
you know, culturally niche portion of the consumer base? Or do we go back to what, what I think businesses should be, which is just a place where anyone can buy whatever the hell they want and they don't care what anyone believes as long as the product and service is good? And, and I agree with you. And I, I think one of the things that's very difficult is at least from a PR and marketing aspect of having a business is, okay, you take a stance and let's say that half of your proceeds go to, um, you know, children's cancer or something like that. You can't really argue with wanting to make sure that children don't have cancer. I don't right? know. Is that, is that political yet? It's not. Well, who knows? If it's not political, I think, or like an animal, <laughs> or I mean, you do you do make a very good point. If it's not political, I think a lot a lot of people would be fine knowing that. Oh, you know, some of my money from this purchase goes to underserved children in low income communities. Great, but when you get to social issues, that's where you have to really take a stance as a company and say, are the profits worth it? And of course, you'll have people from the very, very far left who will say, oh, well, you know, if your business is just interested in profits over people, then you're horrible and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, the purpose of a business, you know, coming from someone who owns their own business, who has, uh, who is a Greek American, who ironically, and I guess, you know, stereotypically has many family businesses and many family restaurants, is that the purpose of a business is to make a profit and use that profit however you see fit. And if the idea behind that business is to give it to charities, to give it to charities that, you know, it's very easy to raise money, like animal awareness, um, you know, against child abuse, childhood illnesses, whatever, go for it. The minute that you cross the line and step into social issues, that's where you have to really just take a stance and be okay with the repercussions, if there are any, of your actions. So I personally have not gotten into that position where I've taken a stance either way. I mean, of course, I only work with, my husband's a Republican. Um, I'm, I guess I'm a Republican too now, a libertarian, small L, libertarian-leaning Republican. Um, and I only work with conservative or Republican candidates. So um, people have to be okay with that. And I think that's the point that we as a society need to get a little bit more comfortable with. Yeah. And it, it used to be, and, and this feels like it's so long ago, like there are, and, and I don't know if I'm surprising anybody with this, but like there are liberals that work at Fox. Of course. And there are Republicans who work at CNN. Absolutely. And when I was working in DC at the Washington Times, I could grab drinks and hang out and laugh with people who worked at the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and all those places. And, and I think the big casualty from cancel culture on both the left and the right is that now we're self-segregating into our own pockets of things because everything is a statement. Me wearing a Nike hoodie is a statement. Me eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich is a statement. Me being on parlor is a statement. And I I think I think many, many millions of Americans across the political spectrum just want to go back to the time where it doesn't matter. And sadly, I don't see how this resets. I don't either. I don't either. And I think 
and this is this is maybe a good point to kind of leave it at and maybe open it up for listeners and just kind of ask them this. But if they're old enough, if you remember the days after 9-11, how everyone felt like they were they were just an American. You weren't black, you weren't white, Asian, Hispanic, you were an American. And we came together as a country to mourn, to try to figure out how we would move forward in terms of remembering those that we had lost and how to hold those who had caused that damage, how we would hold them accountable. I have never felt like that as an American ever again. And I was only like nine years old when 9-11 happened. Um, And I think that that's the kind of point that Americans need to be at is, you know, we're not Republicans, we're not Democrats, we're not liberals, progressives, libertarians, Green Party, whatever. How do we get to the point where, okay, we are just Americans, we're going to look out for our neighbors, and how are we going to get that as tragic as it was, but I feel like that's the only somewhat of a silver lining that we had after that horrific day, was that we all felt like we were Americans, we were joined in a similar cause, and we were going to look out for our neighbor and our fellow man. I don't know how we get back to that either. So if there are people out there who are listening to this podcast, I would hope that if anyone has any insights um, that they would share that with us, but it's just been such a crazy year, especially with the pandemic, the incidents that have been happening post the election. And of course at the Capitol building. Um, And I just look forward to that day where we can feel like we're all Americans again. Absolutely. And if there's one thing that can really unite people, it's just, it's just being kind to one another, go supporting local businesses, go, go being, you know, somebody who people can rely on just for the sake of that, not because it's something that you expect to get transactional uh, relationship out of. And uh, if, if there was ever a time to support each other as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as content creators, it's now more so than ever before, because here's the thing, a very, a very small number of very big corporations and very big organizations that pressure them and government entities have basically deemed half the country as criminal by association. And we, we have to help each other. We have to link with each other. And it's not even just based off religious lines or, or party lines, but a line of understanding of you should be able to live your life and live it as a free, uh, happy, prosperous individual who can agree or disagree with others. And you respect their basic life right to life and to earn a living and to exist because that's what uh, that, that's what this is coming to. And Keith Olbermann said that we have to remove half of America from our society. I didn't take him seriously. I took him literally because that's what's trying to happen. And the only way that we can end that is to not be part of that in our own lives. So Chloe, thank you so much for coming on. We, we impact a lot of big topics. If people want to link up with you, if people want to learn how they can, you know, grow their own personal capital or even adapt their business to deal with the, the rampant number of crazy challenges that they have to deal with right now, how could they do so? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for just taking the time to talk to me about these giant topics. I mean, you and I can just talk for hours and hours on end. But if folks want to link up with me, um, please send me an email. It's just chloeandagnos at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter under the same handle, um, same on Facebook, on Instagram, Pinterest. And I'm literally the only Chloe and Agnos in the world. So it's pretty easy to find me. And of course, I'm all over Remzo's website as well. Um, you and I have been internet and real life friends since 
2016? I think 2015. It's been a very long time and I can't wait for the podcast episode. I haven't told you this yet, but we need to do one live in my kitchen when you finally get to come visit me in a couple of weeks. Um, that would be super, super fun. Oh my gosh. Julie and I are excited for that. And I'd love to do that. Absolutely. That would be fun. So yeah, if folks want to link up, link up with me, that's the best way to go about it. Um, but you know, especially as we're looking at this new year, I think there are important topics to cover for sure. Absolutely. So Chloe, thank you so much for coming on once again. I'll include everything for your website and all your social media in the show notes to make it easier for you and everyone else. Awesome. Thanks so much, friend. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Folks, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts across Al Gore's amazing internet. It lets people know about the awesome conversations we're having, about the fun that we're sharing with each other, and the information we're using to better our lives so we could live more prosperously, so we could expand the number of options we have in our lives. Because if you don't have options, you don't have much freedom. As always, share the episode with a friend let people know what's going on here because you're people of action you get shit done and you look awesome at the same time as always i'm remsa w martin as you're listening to on the run i'll talk to you later in the week be good stay safe good night You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 